Romans 6, the 19th verse. Watch what it says. I speak after the manner of men. And this is mentioned because our knowledge and our ability to discern things isn't perfect. It's imperfect. It's flawed. And so when he says, I speak after the manner of men, it's because sometimes it's easier to speak that way. In other words, things that can be easily understood because a lot of times uh, it's hard to get truth into people. <laughs> and so common everyday life experiences, in other words, after the manner of men, tend to help connect the dots with some things. And that's the, that, the idea of that phrase. And then he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. In other words, the common illustration for all of us is we can all relate to the fact that our flesh is weak. Uh, which would help us understand that our understanding is weak. Our, our flesh just has corrupt passions. And sometimes when we, well, anytime that we keep feeding that flesh, those corrupt passions, what's going to happen is it is going to blind our understanding, our mind more. Because if you put two thoroughbreds on the race line, and they start the race and they open the gates and those thoroughbreds start running. Who's going to win? The one that's fed. <laughs> the one that's fed the most. The one that's fed the best. In other words, whatever you feed, you need. <laughs> and you keep feeding the flesh, you're going to need more of it. And as that happens, spiritual blindness occurs. Even amongst Christians, don't forget, we are wrapped in this carnal, mortal body of flesh that we fight and struggle with all the time. The more we yield to it, by default, the less we yield to the Holy Spirit. And then therefore, we, we know how that goes. It doesn't go well. You can't be soaked in sin all week. And think that one sermon's going to change your life around. Now, I've I've got a, I've got tracks before. I've read Christian literature before, and I've I've heard preaching before. I'm like, wow, that was just what I need. And it was a seed that planted a change or a keep feeding that, not the fleshly stuff. And then it says. He wants them to understand this. So I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. Now watch what it says. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity. Pretty easy to understand. Now there is no real reason for any of us to start comparing who, who was the worst sinner. That's not really edifying, and it isn't necessary for us to do that. Why? We're alive unto God. We're new creatures. We're risen with Christ. We're saved by grace. And so now let's, in, let's, let's enjoy that journey. However, this is a reminder. This verse is really chock full of a reminder. After I speak, after the matter of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh, watch. 
For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and do iniquity unto iniquity. It's not a bad idea to go back and remember where you came from and where I came from. For a few reasons. Number one, it really should help us get a better hold of the gratitude that we should have toward God for saving us. How many of you ever look back and just in hindsight, you're either reading some scripture or you're meditating on something or something happened in your life and now you're in the word and you just, you're just overflown with gratitude because you just remembered, man, that's what the Lord took me out of. But don't forget, Uncleanness brings more uncleanness. Iniquity brings more iniquity. Young people, pay attention very closely. Because this is a principle that I want you to understand. The dirty affects the clean. More than the clean affects the dirty. Here's what I mean by that. If you go out and play in the dirt and the mud. And you get your hands all in the dirt. Does the dirt get handy or do your hands get dirty? Your hands get dirty. Okay. Uncleanness leads to more uncleanness. So what do you think a pure life would lead to? Living pure on Monday, what do you think that would lead to on Tuesday? More purity. You live a pure life, a holy life, a righteous life, a life that's against sin. It's going, you're going to produce more of that. But if you do the opposite and you're just caught up in dirt and mud and sin all week, that is what's going to be produced. And Romans 6 is God's trying to get us... To go back as a reminder so we can get a better hold of the purpose that we have. The purpose that we have, our life, for living for God more holy. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? Is it really to be set apart unto God? And to live a holy life sanctified unto him? Romans 6, this verse 19, is trying to get us to, to look back a little bit. Remember where you were. And now be overflowed with gratitude and live for God more holy. I actually go to 2 Corinthians 12. Let's go there now. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, Bible said verse, verse 20. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would. And that I shall be found unto you such as you would not. Lest there be debates. I know that there's a time and a place to debate things. I really am not convinced that. I, I don't like the idea of Christians. Public signing up to do a public debate against each other. It may get YouTube views. And you know why I don't like that? Because. One, I, I, I'm convicted that I don't think God wants that. And I don't think God wants that because now the whole world gets to watch 
two Christians fight and debate over something? How about we just do this in, instead? Why don't you just preach what you believe? And let the other guy just preach and teach what he believes. And let God sort it out. When two Christians debate each other, the lost and dying world gets to watch that and be entertained by that. Why not just have a Christian debate another faith? You know the other problem with debating is? If Josiah was going to sign up and, and debate Isaiah, and Josiah says, Isaiah, I challenge you to a debate on this Christian topic. You know what Isaiah's flesh is going to say? Yeah, sure, I'm going to win. And in his mind, he is going to double down on his belief. So a debate is two guys doubling down on their beliefs, and neither one of them is, is willing to listen to each other. You have to defend your position. That's the very nature of a debate. You know what I think God's trying to warn us here about debating is? For that very issue. Are there things to talk about? Sure. Do issues come up in life and in church life? They do, and they need to be talked about. But this idea of debating, it's a dangerous thing, and I think God's trying to warn us. It can. Okay, so that's that. So what do we have next? Envies. Uh, lest there be debates or envies. Now, that can be cured very easily through contentment. We're content with what we have, and there's the cure. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? That's a pretty curious verse. Envy really is a deep, dark sin. Um. Have you ever had an angry neighbor? You know, you live next to somebody and, and, and it's always loud and contentious. And when you have an angry neighbor like that, the good is, well, there's warning shots, so to speak. You have time to defend yourself. You have time to be prepared. It's like the dog that is just barking and barking and barking and then he bites. At least you have some time to prepare for the bite. <laughs> But that's not the case with envying. It works the other way. It's covert. That's the snake that's in the grass and you're walking around. It's not the barking dog. Oh, stay away from that dog. You've got time to prepare. No, that snake in the grass, you just step on it. Next thing you know, you're bitten. You don't have time to prepare. Envying hurts because it's covert. We need to be careful of, of that. And then it says stripes. That's just a contest for superiority. And us gentlemen, we have no problem relating to that. It's a, probably a sin that so easily besets us at one time or another. That's stripes. And you got backbitings and whisperings. Uh, this is the, the backbiter. This is the person that'll, I mean, you've heard, hey, the person's talking behind my back. Well, what's the difference between a backbiter and a whisperer? Well, a backbiter, they'll just talk behind your back in public to a whole bunch of people. A whisperer, they'll talk behind your back, but it'll just be more privately. They're going to kind of take somebody aside, <laughs> kind of whisper some things to them out in private. God don't want that for his, for his people. We ought not be involved in that. Uh, wrath, stripes, backbitings, whisperings. Then it says swellings. That's when sinful passions arise 
as we become flated with that passion of sin, it's just louder and louder and louder, and we're just swelled up. And it says tumult. It's just great commotion causes great confusion. You want to get people confused about something? Just create a real big stink. <laughs> you know, you just you ever meet people, and it doesn't matter if it's at work or it's at uh, a neighborhood, a, a community event, or, or, or whatever it is. It's just the guy or the gal is going to blow it up. God don't want that. Not for his people. James 3 says, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. We should be careful as Christians. Now, did any of that that we talked about have to do with believing the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, and all the fundamentals of the faith? Did it change the gospel? No. In other words, you can have right doctrine in your head. And we can really ruin a lot of our Christian living if we don't get our Christian character chiseled. So it's iron clad. I've noticed something over the years from being in church a lot. I've noticed this. When a marriage fails or when someone, a relationship fails or someone leaves church, in almost every case, not all the time, but in almost every case, when there's a when there's commotion between a husband and wife, or a brother or sister in, in church, it's not about a main doctrinal point. It comes down to the person's character, how they are treating the other person. Men that are so doctrinally sound, they can check everything off. They've got it down. Yet the marriage is falling apart. Why? It's character. There is something deeper than head knowledge. And in Romans chapter 6, we need to be careful that our lives aren't starting to get soaked with sin as we have all of our doctrine in line. It's, it's, a, subtle, it, it's a subtle thing that... Uh, and really hurt us. And in verse 21, I wanted to get to this word here. Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you. Second Corinthians 12. And then I shall bewail. That's just lamenting with deep sorrow. Many which have sinned already have not repented of the, uh, here it is, uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness, which they have committed. <laughs> we said all of that while we're in Second Corinthians to say this. What do you do when you're caught up in uncleanness? You've got to repent. You've got to repent. We've got to recognize it, repent, and turn from it. Second Corinthians 12. Now let's go over to Galatians 5 and we'll look a little bit more at uncleanness.
Bible says in verse number 19, Galatians 5. Verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness. In 1931 in New York, they formed the Italian Mafia. And the objective of the Italian Mafia was to recruit 16 and 17-year-olds to make them into wise guys, which was basically a, a glorified wiseacre, really. And they did it not by showing them how, well, you, you, the other one in here is murders. They did it not by showing them how to murder. Instead, they just groomed them on how to live an unclean life. And so they threw money at them. They threw Cadillacs at them. They threw girls at them. They threw clothes at them. And so they puffed them up. They swelled them up with pride. And so when you would be a, if you wanted to be a really good fella, you'd have to walk in and uh, you'd have to have the money to tip. You'd have to have the clothes to wear. You'd have to have the attitude, all that. They groomed them for all that. And you know what it led to? Go buy an ice pick. Go buy a gun. Go buy a knife. They still didn't murder anybody. But they were groomed. And all of that unclean living eventually led them to do what? Murder. That's how sin works. We say, I would never sign up to be a murderer. I would never sign up to be in witchcraft. Yeah, but that's not how it works. It works the same way the Italian mafia works. That's why that's a that's a gang. That's why that's a bad thing. Because you just get groomed, and slowly by sh and slowly by surely, the next thing you know, you're into murder. The next thing you know, you're into full blown witchcraft. It doesn't happen overnight. This is why it's so important, and why I keep saying it over and over: a holy life. A righteous life. A pure life. By the way, that's normal. Christians living a clean, pure life is normal. All of the other stuff is abnormal. Look at verse number 20. Idolatry, we understand that. Witchcraft. Uh, the old Italian tradition. They had during the winter solstice, which we're coming into that season now, they had uh, Bufana. She was the gift-giving witch. And she was continually soaked with soot because she would come down chimneys and she would put uh, candy in the children's socks if they were good. And if they were bad, she'd leave some coal. That's the old Italian tradition. You trace the history on that. And... You know what else she'd do? She'd sweep the floor before she left. 
Well, you know, because she was a good witch. And you know what she would do? Wipe away all the bad things from the previous year. You know what that is? A bunch of folklore, superstition. Witchcraft. You know what? Because the Bible says in here, it doesn't say idolatry and witchcraft except the good witches. <laughs> you can call it a good witch or a bad witch. They're all witches. It's all witchcraft. It's all witchcraft. So that's Bethina. But now, you know, every, every culture has a different one. Here in America, we have Santa Claus. Now, he's not an old, an old lady, uh, you know, some uh, old witch coming around. He's a, he's a male witch, so he's a wizard. Yeah, but it's all the same thing, all wrapped up in the same thing. It's witchcraft. That's all that it is. And Santa or Bafina, none of, none, of none of those folklore, none of that is going to wipe away the bad that you've done last year. You need. You know what you need? Blood of Jesus Christ. You don't need witchcraft to wipe away the bad. What you need is what Romans 6 is teaching us, what Ephesians 5 is teaching us. Walk by the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in verses 22 and on. See it? Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Neither are Christ that crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying, there's that word again, one another. That's a way to live a clean life. That's a way to live a real clean life. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. That's uh, verse 19, Ephesians 4. Well, let's back up at 17. It's a pretty long sentence. Ephesians 4. Look at verse 17. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened. Going back to Romans 6, when we talked about, look, the more you get soaked in sin, the more your mind is blinded by spiritual things. Having understand dark and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, awful place to be, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's what a blinded mind does. It lead, that's what the vanity of the mind does. It leads you into a life. You've got some unclean things over here that aren't over here yet. Now you've got some unclean things here that aren't over here yet until they are. And then the next thing you know, you've got a life full of uncleanness. God doesn't want that. Go over to Colossians. Uh, we'll go to Ephesians 5. Look at verse 3. Bible says fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Is there anything in your life? I'm not asking you to testify tonight. I'm asking myself the same thing I'm asking you. Is there anything in your life 
that is considered unclean or moving in that direction. God tells us in Ephesians 5, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. Let's keep that in mind. Uh, Colossians 3. And also 1 Thessalonians 4. Get both of those, one right after the other. Colossians 3, verse number 1. Watch what it says. Look at the contrast in verse number 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Look at verse number 2. Set your affection on things above. Not on things on the earth. We, we can see that uh, contrast. Verse number three, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is he your life? Is he your life? In the morning when you wake up, is he your life? In the evening when you come home, is he your life? At work, is he your life? During the day, is he your life? Or are you just kind of living your life and then when it's convenient, we're just going to kind of get a little B12 shot of God? That's what I'm asking. That's what I'm asking. If our life is hid with Christ in God, I hope we're not desiring to jump out and then just jump in when we want. Okay. Now all that stuff about living in the spirit and all that, it's not like it's not like okay, we're here on a Sunday night, we got a full tank of Holy Spirit. And then Monday, you know, we drain the tank, we're down to three quarters, and then by Wednesday we're down to half a tank, and then Thursday we come in uh, to the church house and we get we get back up to a full tank, and then that's not how it works. When you got saved and I got saved, you know what we got a full tank of? That be the Holy Spirit. We just have to yield to God, yield to the Spirit, let it guide us, not our flesh. And First Thessalonians four, in verse number seven, watch what real clear, great verse. First Thessalonians four seven: For God hath not called us unto uncleanness. But on the holiness. That's how we should be living our life. Pagans are the ones that leave, live an unclean life. Bob Dylan was interviewed. And when he was interviewed. He said that he made a bargain a long time ago. And he said I'm holding up my end. So the interview asked Bob Dylan. And he said. He asked him. He said. Who did you make the bargain with? Bob Dylan answered. The chief commander. The interviewer asked, who's the chief commander? Dylan says, the one on this earth and the world we can't see. He asked how he got to write the lyrics of some of the songs that he wrote. And he was quoted as saying, I don't know how I got to write those songs. In his own words, he said, it's a different kind of magic. That's his own words. 
And what happened is in 1979, Bob Dylan started to get curious about Christianity. I don't know if he's saved or not saved. But I know in 1979, he started to, his curiosity started to be piqued. And so he wrote a song that said, the title of the song was, Gotta Serve Somebody. And the lyrics he wrote were, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You know what that is? That's a lost man recognizing you're going to have one of two masters. I'm not saying he's saved. I'm saying that he had recognized the biblical truth and wrote about it. The reprobate John Lennon didn't like that. So he criticized Dylan by writing a song in June of 1980 called Serve Yourself, where he blasphemes the name of Christ. And then six months later, he died and dropped into hell. Don't serve yourself. Serve Christ. Dylan recognized this. Look at Ephesians 3. Romans 6, talk about that infirmity of your flesh. I'm telling you, our spiritual comprehension can be very, very weak and feeble if we feed the wrong animal. Where are we going? Ephesians? Okay, I'm there. Ephesians 3. Look at verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit. Where? In the inner man. We got to stop thinking about all the outward stuff. The flesh is mortal. We have an inner man. Praise God. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. By what? Faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Watch this. Romans 6 talks about the infirmity of your flesh. Watch this here. Watch this first. Verse 18. May be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. We can have understanding. Because Christ lives in us. But if we keep yielding to the flesh, it's going to be two steps forward, two steps back. Because we're stubborn. We're stubborn. Oh, well, that would be a good point. I told you, i tell you the story of Hiram and Jody. This would be a good place to tell that story. The word stubborn triggered it, the, the, the reminder. So, we're training jujitsu in Seventh and Chestnut, Philadelphia. This is going back 1997. And full-time fireman was training with him. He was on our team. He was nicknamed Fireman Joe. Everybody called him Fireman Joe. We don't even know if he had a last name. It was just Fireman Joe. To us. I mean, he, he did. But and Fireman Joe was stubborn. And I guess you kind of have to be if you're a firefighter. But he was stubborn. Anytime Fireman Joe would get caught 
in a submission hold for like an elbow lock or shoulder lock, any type of joint lock, he would tap, which is what you're supposed to do. Okay, stop. I'll give up. But when Fireman Joe would get called any type of choke hold, you know, like a collar, a collar choke or any type of strangulation hold, Fireman Joe would not tap. He wouldn't. He was stubborn. And he got that from an old Japanese philosophy because these Japanese samurai warriors, they just wouldn't quit. They'd rather die on their sword than give up. So he would not tap. He was so stubborn, he wouldn't tap. So you know what would happen to Fireman Joe when he got caught in the choke and he didn't tap? Rock goodbye, baby. <laughs> He'd take a nap. <laughs> Look, Joe, it's either tap or nap, man. Many a days, we would be reviving Fireman Joe because he would not tap out of the choke. Now, eventually, he came around and he learned. But he wouldn't tap because he was stubborn. Why am I telling you that story? Because your flesh can be extremely stubborn. And if you allow it to be stubborn, eventually you're going to take a nap. It's going to take you out. And you're going to be useless for God's service. You're still saved. You're still going to heaven. You still got eternal life. But guess what God has given us at least now, right now? Yes, we have eternal life, but we're living in time right now. And he wants us to be used for his service. So I'll close with this. How are we going to be used for his service? Well, Philippians 2, you don't have to turn there for sake of time. It says about Christ being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself. That's hard to do, but he did it and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So what am I asking us all to do tonight? Humbly serve. Christ entered the womb of a teenage girl and was birthed in a manger. Filthy manger scene because he humbled himself. It's the creator became a creature, if you will. The sustainer became dependent, if you will. The almighty God became weak in a body of flesh. The richest of all became poor. But God, who is rich in mercy, you can't find anybody more rich than God. His mercy is far surpasses any richness. For his great love, wherewith he loved us. And that's why he came and died. And Psalm 139, verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That's what I'm asking all of us to do tonight when we go home, is to ask the Lord, God, search me. God, try my heart. In verse 19 in Romans 6, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity. Even so now. Look I brought you back to give you a reminder of where you came from. Your flesh is weak. But now you're in Christ. We're in chapter 6 now guys. Now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. No more unclean living. No more everything is all uncleanness. 
Now we are now yielding our members servants to righteousness unto holiness.